Welcome to the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast. I'm Erin Young, and this is a space where we explore ways to help the helpers. Because you can't help anyone before you help yourself. So sit back, put your own oxygen mask on, and enjoy the ride. And thank you again so much for joining us. I am honored today to be virtually sitting next to such an amazing woman. Today, Kimberly Mitchell is joining us. She is the president and CEO of the Veterans Village of San Diego, or VVSD for short. They serve over 2,000 veterans every year with support services, mental health treatment, substance abuse treatment, job training, case management, and assistance into permanent housing, which is a huge deal. If you may or may not recall, we've talked to a homeless vet and veteran homelessness is such a huge problem. So it's amazing that this place is out there to help everybody. Now, Kim has an extensive background. We could spend the whole podcast listing off all of her achievements, but briefly, I'll let you know that Kim served in the United States Navy for 17 years as a surface warfare officer, serving onboard surface ships and at shore commands. Her last two years on active duty were as the Deputy Director for the Office of Warrior and Family Support. Now, in this capacity, she visited hundreds of communities and has assisted thousands of organizations and has created a nationwide network of support utilizing grassroots solutions to address the challenges of transition and reintegration for our service members, veterans, and military families. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation to join me today. So, Can you expand and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your service? Well, sure. A little bit about myself. Uh, I was actually uh, born in Vietnam. Uh, My mother had been killed by the North Vietnamese and a South Vietnamese Marine and his company were outside of a little village of Quang Tri. And right before they blew up the Mi Chang Bridge to prevent the North Vietnamese from from advancing uh, down into uh, South Vietnam, they saw one last survivor stumbling across the bridge. And when they went to investigate, they noticed that he had a bundle and that bundle was a hat with a baby wrapped up in a towel. And when this South Vietnamese Marine asked this gentleman to describe with this, this baby and asked him questions about the baby, the gentleman said that he had found the baby nursing on her dead mother lying along the side of the road. So he picked her up. And what this gentleman asked of the South Vietnamese Marine was to take the child from him and take the child to Da Nang, which there was a Catholic orphanage run by some nuns down in in Da Nang because he felt that was the best chance for her survival. So this South Vietnamese Marine did, and he uh, brought the little baby to the orphanage. And when he presented the child to the nuns, they asked him what her name was. And when he said that she didn't have a name, they asked him to name her, and he gave her the name of Tranti Nakbik, which means precious pearl. A few months later, a tech sergeant who was stationed at the airbase in Da Nang came over to the orphanage and presented gifts and food and clothing, as many service members did back then and during their time off to remind them a little bit of some sort of normalcy. They placed a baby number 899 known as Tranti Nakbik into his arms and he fell in love. And in September of 1972, I was adopted and brought over to the United States. My dad spent the first six years of my life still in the Air Force. So we traveled to various bases as as an Air Force brat. And in 1979, 
he retired up in northern Wisconsin, which is where my mother was from. And that's where I spent my childhood, first grade through 12th grade in northern Wisconsin, you know, growing up as the all-American kid, playing basketball and sports and playing in the band and participating in different activities, raising cattle for 4-H project. But I always knew that I had a life of service. And so my father, when I was in third grade, kind of figured out that I liked structure and routine. And so he started talking to me about the Air Force Academy in 10th grade. I met a retired rear admiral from the United States Navy. And when I mentioned to him that I was interested in going to a service academy, he asked me if I was interested in a Naval Academy. And I told him I really didn't know too much about the Naval Academy. So he took down my name and, and address and information. And before I knew it, knew it, I started getting lots of advertisements and catalogs and and pamphlets from the Naval Academy describing their programs, the academics, the, the curriculum, and I found it very interesting, so I applied. In 1990 is when I graduated from, from high school, and I went to the Naval Academy prep school for a year to get a little bit higher academics than what I was getting in northern Wisconsin. And the 30 days uh, after I graduated from that in uh, 1991, so from May uh, of 1991 to, to roughly July, we had off. So it was roughly 30 days break. And that one month uh, I was home two weeks before I reported to the Naval Academy to start my plebe year. My father was struck by lightning and killed on our farm. So I understand what happens to families when a tragic incident happens, but I also understand what happens to families when the community support is there to, to wrap around the, the family and provide that much needed support and consultation and just knowing that there's other people there to, to be there for you and be there with you. The Navy decided to give me a year off to be able to take care of my mother and my brother and our farm at home. So in 1992, I returned to the Naval Academy to, to do my academic year at the Naval Academy as a midshipman. I graduated in 96 with a bachelor's in ocean engineering, selected surface warfare, did 17 years as a surface warfare officer doing various commands at ship and shore. I, my last two years was as the deputy director for the Warrior and Family Support Office, working directly for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And in this capacity, I traveled to over 329 communities looking at resources, looking at programs for our transitioning service members, military families and families of the fallen to help them connect to the community in regards to education, access to employment and access to healthcare. And in 2012, after I was done with that, I decided to leave the Navy and I co-founded with the Army Colonel that I was working with an organization called Dixon Center for Military and Veterans Services. And in there, in that capacity, I continued working with organizations across this nation, including an organization here in San Diego called Veterans Village of San Diego, and working with them and their staff and, and finding out uh, the programs that they were doing and maybe offering some advice on how to make them more effective and more impactful and, and, and so on and so forth, and how to do better outreach. I did that at Dixon Center for five years, and in 2017, 
the CEO at VVSD at that time was Phil Landis contacted me and notified me that he would be retiring from being CEO for for he was CEO for over 10 years. And he contacted me thinking that I would know not so much that I would apply for the job, but that I would know folks through my travels that might be interested in applying for the job. Uh, unbeknownst to me at that time, I didn't think I was going to apply, but uh, through some encouragement with some of the folks that I worked with, they encouraged me to apply for the position. And so I did. And in June of 2017, I drove out from Washington, D.C. to San Diego and uh, reported into Veterans Village of San Diego. And July 17th, I took over as the first non-Vietnam veteran, first female chief executive officer of Veterans Village of San Diego. Wow. I, I feel a, a like a Netflix special or a biography you're amazing and you've been through so much and so much unique unique situations. Wow. I'm absolutely floored to have you here. Well, thank you. you know, everyone has a story, but sometimes uh, stories fall into our lap and I certainly wasn't looking for my story. It, it was just it just happened and I was fortunate enough back in 2013 to be reunited with that South Vietnamese Marine who brought me to the orphanage and gave me my name. And he now he and his family now live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, wow. That's amazing. If we haven't really touched on it yet, what was your proudest moment serving? I've had a lot of proud moments serving. I would say the proudest moments uh, of my service, of my 17 years of serving, always involved leading sailors and assisting sailors and helping our sailors recognize that they have the potential to do anything they want to as long as they put their mind to it and they put in the hard work. There were sailors that I had that maybe were you know not the best behaved sailors when I, when I first got to my ships <laughs> but you know, through encouragement, through guidance, through leadership, through mentorship, they became sailors of the quarter. They became leaders within their division. I, they, I've had sailors ask to get qualified in positions on board the ship that traditionally someone in their rank and their rate would never qualify for. So, for instance, I had a a sailor who was a damage controlman, and he decided that he wanted to be a master helmsman. There's no problem. Why not? You don't have to be a bosun's mate to be a master helmsman. So he went up and I talked to the captain and we somehow convinced the captain to let the damage controlman, whose main job is putting out fires and, and, keeping the ship from, from burning or mm -hmm. sinking and plugging up holes or any type of damage control. But this particular sailor wanted to become a master helmsman on board our ship. And so by offering those opportunities and allowing them, you know, that's, it's amazing what people can accomplish if they're not told no right off the bat, if 
you can figure out if it's something that they can do that just because no one else is doing it or no one has done it before doesn't mean that there might be a possibility of making it happen, to, especially if it advances someone in education, uh, whether personally or professionally. Yeah, leadership is so very important. And I'm a supervisor myself for our 911 dispatch center. And I've been trying to further my own education and and really be an example and be a leader, not so much of a manager. And I find that a lot of places, especially maybe public safety or paramilitary organizations, have kind of a strange ideal of what leadership is. Absolutely. You know, as, as we have heard and we've, we say often is that leaders lead people, managers manage things. Absolutely. So what about challenges? And maybe, I don't know if you can speak to any challenges that you had being a female in the military. Well, sure. Uh, there's, there's multiple challenges, uh, whether uh, you're male or female in the military. But specifically for me, when I graduated from the Naval Academy in 96, I went to my first ship, which was a combatant destroyer. It was a Spruance class destroyer, USS Stump DD-978. And that was two years after the Navy opened up surface combatants to women. And so, you know, even though women had been on board for two years or been in on combatant naval vessels for two years, there was still quite a few sailors that weren't so comfortable or weren't really uh, at home with the idea of women serving on board combatant ships. And so getting them to understand that women are there to stay we are just as professionally capable and professionally proficient and tactically proficient as men. And what I encourage other female officers as well as the female sailors within my division and on board the ship is always be professional, always, you know, know your job, know it better than everybody else around you. Know uh, don't ever give anyone an opportunity to say that you shouldn't be there. Don't ever let anyone say that it's because of uh, your sex or your religion or your race or your background or where you grew up as a reason why you shouldn't be in the job that you are. I want to give you a virtual high five right now because that's amazing. <laughs> and, and so often we don't, we don't hear that type of encouragement A lot of it is just kind of suck it up and deal with it. You know what you got into when you signed up. So I appreciate that kind of support. Absolutely. And, you know, in the military, quite often you do hear suck it up. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a, a point where know your job. Be good at your job. Be excellent at your job. Be a master at your job. And then people, there's nothing they can do to complain about. Yep, Absolutely. So what about transitioning out when you were done with your service? I mean, you're really not done serving, but with your service, did you have a smooth transition or did you have challenges too? I was very lucky. I was, uh, as I mentioned previously, my last job in the Navy working in the Warrior and Family Support Office, 
prepared me for an easy and very smooth transition, which is what I believe unusual. Many service members, whether you're officer or enlisted, whether you're a junior officer, senior officer, junior enlisted or senior enlisted, have a much more difficult time in transition. I had the network because of the job that I had. I was able to network outside the military. I was able to figure out and set up a position with someone that I had worked with in the military and we transitioned together into our new job. So for us, that was a very easy transition for us. For most folks, it's very difficult. For if you're a service member who's been serving for four years, six years, eight years, 12 years, or 20 years, chances are the network that you have and the experience you have is very, very military-centric and your network outside the military is almost non-existent. So when you transition out and all of a sudden you're not going back to that ship or you're not going to the Army post or you're not going to the Air Force base or the Marine Corps base that you are used to having and have all those folks that know their job and know where you're going and you know what to do, you're now suddenly perhaps even moved into a, a new community with your family and you're starting a new job and you're trying to figure out what this new job is or what's the requirements, it's tough. It's tough. It's very tough and it's daunting. And if you have a family that's with you, there's always challenges uh, with the family. Perhaps there's children, maybe there's small children. And so trying to get connected to community resources in your new area or even in the same area. Because when you're in the military, if you transition out into the same town that you're in, quite often the services that you are accessing are no longer available for you because you are accessing military-based type services. So now if you're a civilian, trying to access, finding those new services to access is somewhat difficult. So having communities being proactive to outreach and providing those services and letting know uh, those service members what the services are that are available, whether it be, may be something like child daycare or where is it, where's the easiest place to get signed up for school? Is there someone that could be a mentor for a service member as they transition into their new job? You know, I've noticed organizations that seem to have uh, mentorship programs for that will take the service members and show them the ropes, show them what, how to do, how the, how the organization does business. It is very much more successful in integrating their service member into the workforce because organizations quite often are great at advertising and recruiting the individuals, the service members, once they become a veteran, but they're not very good at retaining and training their their service members to become part of the team. Is there any other advice that you can give active military to prepare for that transition? I would say the a great sound advice is have a plan. Have a plan. Have a have figure things out. Talk to people long before you make that transition. Find folks that have have done it and what their challenges were and what they did and what were some of the solutions? What were, what were some of the things that they wish they had known? It's 
for sometimes when service members are there and I know the services are getting much better at it, but when I was in, it was, uh, the military did very good at training their service members, but they weren't so good at preparing folks to become veterans. The military has now taken steps to make uh, the transition a little bit easier, but I think that communities could still do a better job at showing the veterans that are moving into their community, veteran resource centers or, or the colleges that are bringing in student veterans. They have great student veteran networks and resource centers and, and showing where the, the families can get access the, 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 the services and programs that they, may, that they might need. So what are you the most passionate about? Well, right now, being the CEO of VVSD, I mean, I'm very, very passionate about veterans regaining that pride that I know that exists in every single one of them. At VVSD, quite often, we we see veterans that have come in that have lost everything, lost connection, lost hope, lost that sense of self self-worth. So I'm very, very passionate about ensuring that the right services that create a positive impact for these veterans to make them and understand that they can go out and do things. It's okay if you slip and fall in life. Nobody has a perfect life. So if you slip and fall, what makes you a better person is how you pick yourself back up. And where are those services that you might need? And how do you get back out on your out on your feet and be successful and find that determination that we know that's inside of each and every single one of our veterans? I tell our veterans that come into VBSD, whether they've served one day or 20 years, whether they came from a rich family or they came from a poor family, whether they were born in the United States or naturalized citizen like I am, they all raise their right hand. So they will all have respect for me as veterans. What I would need for them is to have respect in themselves and to put forth the effort to getting back with their family, reconnecting with their community, become the heroes that they that we know that they are to their family and their community. Wow, that is very, very powerful. And I love everything that you said. And for me as a civilian, I have a newfound respect and love of veterans and military service people after talking to so many for the podcast. And I've learned so much and have been able to apply it in my day-to-day job dealing with people who may be struggling and understanding them a little bit better. So for the civilians out there that are listening, what do you want people to know about veterans? We all have our unique challenges. Uh, veterans are just like everybody else, except for we signed a blank check in service to our nation at some point in our lives. And that blank check could be at some time giving our life to support the liberties that we have. But eventually we all transition out. We all do. No one stays in the military for their entire life. We, we transition out and we want to become 
members of the community give back. We want to be given a chance. Don't make assumptions. I, there's a lot of folks, you know, after I've traveled to 650 communities across this nation, and it's interesting how there's so many folks who maybe don't understand service because, you know, in World War One and World War Two, every other house had someone that was involved with the war effort. These days, you have less than 1% mm. of the population who has served. And that's a big disconnect when it comes to civilians that don't understand military, the challenges that we might have reintegrating back into civil society. But a lot of it is just give us a chance. Don't make assumption that just because we're a veteran and we've had service in our, to our nation and maybe we have deployed into combat, don't, don't make the assumption that we come back damaged or that we have challenges but just be there to provide those services that we might need. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat challenging for a family when a service member goes off on deployment, whether you're in the Navy, the Army, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, or the Coast Guard. There is challenges for that family. The, the spouse that's left, whether male or female, and the children, there are challenges and there's things that they have to deal with and things that you and I may think are in, insignificant could be a very big deal to those veterans because of the, the, those veterans families and those military families that are, that are back home. And I have seen military children be the most resilient children in the world, but quite often they cry at night hoping that their parents come home. And so it is, I just want the, the civilian population and people in the communities to understand that our, our service members and our veterans have had a lot of challenges, but we're there to, to, to contribute. And they've done it all for us in our country too. So that's right. You have to. Because the cause is greater than, than I. Right. And even if you don't like it and you don't support it, you still have to respect it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the Veteran Village San Diego. Your job sounds like one of the coolest jobs in the world. But tell us a little bit about the organization and what you guys do over there. Okay. So Veterans Village of San Diego was started in 1981 by five combat Vietnam veterans who came back to San Diego looking for some services, didn't really find what they needed or what they wanted. So they started their own organization. In fact, the name of the organization was Vietnam Veterans of San Diego. And that's actually our, still our 501c3 name. But we do business as Veterans Village of San Diego because these Vietnam veterans, as years passed, they saw the younger generation of veterans coming home and needing some of the same types of services that they needed when they came home. So the Gulf War veterans and now the post 9-11 veterans that are returning home and returning to the community. And so BBSD did start, changed their name to do business as Veterans Village of San Diego. And we provide much needed services to a lot of our, pop, our, our veteran population here in San Diego, whether it be the homeless veteran 
that needs their rehab programs. So we have residential treatment programs that are funded by both VA and by the state that are in anywhere from 30, 60, 90 days to seven months. And we've had folks here as long as two years getting treatment. We have folks that if you don't want to do treatment programs, we have folks uh, that are in our, our employment and training program. Uh, and what we do is we assess them to see what it is that uh, maybe that they're good at and what they want to do. And if they want to go to school, we help them get back into school. We help get them connected to VA benefits. We help get them connected to, to different programs within different colleges. If they want to go to school, we have a lot of veterans that have gone to culinary arts school. And so getting the job training and then help them get it placed into employment, meaningful employment, uh, is key because we all want to be able to earn that paycheck. And because a paycheck is very much an indicator of a lot of a lot of things that are that veterans and anybody wants to, as you see, self worth is earning that paycheck that you're contributing, and someone's rewarding your contribution and paying you for your that contribution via a paycheck. And then what we do is we help get them back into permanent housing, whether it be in an apartment whether it be back with their families, whether it be helping them, a lot of, some of them buy a house. So they, maybe they end up with a pretty good job and they end up going and buying a house. So uh, we provide those services. We provide our supportive services to veterans' families. So it might be some, some rental assistance. Uh, maybe it might be some financial assistance because you never know when that car is going to break down. And we have then the temporary bridge shelter that was set up by the city in response to the homeless crisis and hepatitis A epidemic here in San Diego. Uh, the city and the city council approached us and asked us if we would be willing to run and operate the veterans temporary bridge shelter. And that has 200 homeless veterans getting access to laundry services, access to medical services, access to mental health services, and, and some limited case management and housing navigation. But those temporary bridge shelters are a good thing because those 200 veterans every night are safe. And when you're living on the street and every night you have to go to bed or go to try to go to sleep, wondering if you're going to get robbed or beat up that night. You probably don't sleep very well. So I like the fact that these veterans that are in our temporary bridge shelter are no, can go to sleep knowing that they're safe and knowing that they're cared for and knowing that there's people around them that will make sure that they're protected, that they get food every day. They have access to showers. We have the we have different partnerships, and so the county will come by. We have the VA that comes by and gets a lot of our veterans who have no idea that they're eligible for VA benefits, signed up for VA benefits, and they have access to the family health centers, uh, brings their mobile the mobile van by to for checkups and whatnot. And so uh, that's a good thing. And in, in May, we're going to be opening up a Cohen- veteran clinic and that's this going to be the official name is the Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at VVSD and that is through 
the Cohen Veteran Network, which was set up by the Stephen A. Cohen Foundation. And the Cohen Foundation is setting up 25 mental health clinics across this nation for post 9-11 veterans and their families mm. to get some mental health treatment. And these are, this is for, this is very exciting for VVSD because this is for a population that's not homeless, as well as the, not only will we be serving post 9-11 veterans and their families, but we will be serving the families and dependents of active duty service members. So we're very, very excited about that. And we're going to be opening up, as I said, the clinic in, in May. So that is, that's pretty exciting for us. That's awesome. And I, I know it's hard for the veterans that are kind of there on the edge where they don't really qualify for case management or some services, but they still need help. So that sounds like that's a beautiful stopgap for them is that they'll have access to those things where they're not exactly on one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah. And that's, you know, these are, like I said, these are for non-homeless veterans uh, for the, for the Cohen clinic. And this is going to be for mild to moderate mental health services. So roughly seven to 12 visits with a clinician or a therapist, because sometimes just as I was talking before, sometimes when you're service you can you can get anxiety, you can get depressed, maybe there's a little anger, and maybe just some mental health services can prevent larger things from happening. Maybe it'll prevent and help families from contemplating suicide. Maybe it'll help families from getting a divorce. Maybe it'll help families from getting up and quitting their job because they're getting the mental health services and the, and, and the, the therapy that they may need. Maybe it'll help the children to not feel anxiety about a service member deployed. Maybe it'll help them not want to drop out of school or teenage pregnancies or all the things that I see with many of our veterans who come to VVSD once they've lost everything. So essentially the, what I see is, is this is moving up the chain and going to help a lot of our service members and our veterans uh, and their families before more catastrophic things happen in their lives. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any types of challenges or difficulties that the Veterans Village has experienced? Is it any funding problems or what do you guys need help with? Oh, we could always use funding <laughs> because uh, that is, we are a nonprofit. And so the, there's always a challenge. Uh, the veterans, when they come in, it is it costs money, and we we get some government grants, and we get some state grants and county grants, uh, and we get we have federal grants, but it's not enough for to cover everything that our veterans need, whether it's. Um, uh, Maybe it's medical stuff, or maybe it's clothes. You know, we get a lot of donated clothes. Um, it's interesting that sometimes folks, when they when they go to and get a job, you know, if they get a job in construction, we try to buy their first tool belt filled with tools, so that they can start their job, you know, walking in with with a good set of tools. Or if it's a chef, their first set of of of, of cutlery. Um, it's it's always a challenge to 
make ends meet when when we're living in San Diego. As you know, San Diego is the most one of the most expensive places to live. And so keeping three meals a day, keeping a roof over their heads, providing the case management and the therapy and the substance use disorder training uh, treatment and trying to keep the the my case managers and the and I have a staff, I have a staff of almost 250 folks here that provide the services and programs to all of our veterans and it's we're always looking for funding. We're always uh, looking for for support. We're always for we have our stand down every year, which this coming year we were actually the founders of stand down, and stand down this year will be uh, the last weekend of June, so the twenty eighth through the thirtieth of June, in the same place, the upper ball field of the San Diego High School, where we have an average usually. 800 homeless veterans and their families will come in and spend the weekend with us on that ball field. And we usually have roughly 3,200 volunteers that help us. We have 170 community partners that come in and provide some sort of service, everything from various employment programs to the VA and the Balboa Medical Hospital setting up medical tents, the dental van. We have the court system there to do the, the homeless court. We have a partnership with the cosmetology school to do provide haircuts. We have partnerships with music programs to do some music classes. We have a big clothing tent and so folks can get themselves some new clothes. So that is that that is always the big event every year for VBSD. So we're always looking for funding because it t- costs us approximately $180,000 a year to put on stand down. Oh, wow. And there's always, we're always looking for volunteers. So got to check our website at vvsd.net. Folks can go in and sign up to volunteer and you can tell us what you want to volunteer for, what day you want to vi- volunteer for and, and what shift you want to volunteer for. And if people wanted to donate, can, are there donating options on your website? Yes, there is a donate option on our website. Uh, it's and that's the easiest to do because it just uh, it's through uh, through that and putting in the credit card. There we can you can always mail us a check. Uh, you can always also we have and I'm trying to. Those are the two most common ways, and I can, I'm I'm kind of forgetting what the what our text to give a number is right now but um, but that's not used too much but most most folks typically donate through our website uh, or we've had people donate through social media so on our Facebook on our Veterans Village of San Diego Facebook uh, we noticed uh, quite a few people donating through that link as well I'll also put those links on your interview page so people have easy access. They can just click on your interview and then also click on the page if they want to donate or get in touch with you guys. Wonderful. Do you Where do you see the VVSD moving forward? What are your guys' big goals for the future? The way VVSD is going to be moving forward is to always figure out what the, what the challenges are, the, what the needs are of our veterans. And what the Vietnam veterans needed back in 1981 is has changed over time to what the veterans are needing today. With the establishment of the, the smartphone, 
the the desire to have things instantaneously is it's everywhere. So that means that the younger generation of veterans communicate differently. They want services differently. They react differently to different things. They they want things to happen more quickly, whereas some of the older veterans that are coming through our program, you see them wanting to take their time. And so, so it's, it's, it's very much a culture shift for the veterans. So, so the challenge for VVSD is to always be able to evolve our programs with the challenging and ever-changing needs of our veterans and their families. And my hope is that the veterans, when they come to VBSD, are going to be able to find the services and programs that they need. Not necessarily the programs that they want, but the <laughs> programs that they need to get back on their feet, to get back with their, to get back with their family, and to realize that they need to find some reason in life, some reason that will make staying clean and sober worth it to, to make them want to get up and go to work every day and earn that paycheck and to be able to be present in their lives again and to have things that they can truly love. You know, sometimes when you're dealing with uh, some challenges from service you get addicted to drugs and you, your body and your mind tells you that's what you love. But that really isn't. The things that they love when they realize it is the, the hug from their children, the reconnection with their parents, the, the satisfaction that they're getting up and they're, they're succeeding in life. What I always tell them is that they're veterans and they should never forget that, that veterans don't quit Veterans are resilient, veterans are strong, and veterans will always keep moving forward. And so trying to get them to understand that and keep focused on that is what my staff and I tell them every day. I don't have anything for that. That's amazing. You've left me speechless. Are there some success stories of veterans getting on their feet and moving forward from VVSD that you'd like to share? Sure. So I'll tell you a story about a young man. And we're going to just call him, call him Robert right now. And Robert was homeless for almost 20 years. And he'd come to 17 stand downs in a row. And every year at stand down, he'd basically just come in for some of the services. He'd come in for the showers and the new bag of clothes and the haircut. And my staff every year would say, hey, Robert, come on, come get some services. Come, you know, come through our treatment program. We can get you back into a place. And he's like, no, 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 I'm ha perfectly happy doing what I do, living on the street. Well, in 2017, he gave in. And he finally said, fine, you guys have been nagging me for <laughs> 17 years. All right, I'll try it. He said, but I guarantee you, I'm not going to stay. So that was my first stand down year. And so I saw him come in and I went and talked to him and said, Hey, how you doing? He goes, he goes, well, he goes, I'm great. He said, but don't go, don't get used to seeing me here. Cause I'm not staying very long. I said, oh, okay, well, how about I just come by and see you every day. And then 
I, I said, the day you disappear, at least I'll know that I saw you the day before. He said, fine. And I said, okay. So interestingly enough, he seemed to like KP duty. And that's, you know, our kitchen, our kitchen duty. Mm-hmm. And he would do uh, everything that he was told in the kitchen, whether it be washing dishes or setting up for, for the various meals. And so he was always uh, in the kitchen. And so I would go down around lunchtime and he'd come running up to me and stand at attention and kind of bark in my face, I'm still here. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm glad, I'm glad you're still here. I said, I said it gives me another day to smile. And he'd just look at me and he, he'd kind of be all gruff at me. And he said, well, he goes, I thought about leaving today, but he said, knowing you, you'll just come out, find me and drag me back kicking and screaming. He said, so he said, I might as well just save you the time and stay here for now. And I said, all right, well, I'm glad and I'll see you tomorrow. So it just happened. And in, uh, in March, he came up to me and he looked at me and he gave me a big hug. And this mm-hmm. was March of 2018. And I said, what's that for? He said, I'm going to graduate from here in about a month. I said, well, how did that happen? He goes, well, you wouldn't let me leave. And I, I said, oh, I said, I'm very proud of you. He said, yeah. He goes, you and your staff were right. He said, he said, I was wrong for 20 years. He said, but I'm going to make it. And I said, I know you are. I know you are. And in April, he graduated. In April of tw- in 2018, he graduated. And I was there and I got to see his certificate and I get him his certificate. And he came to stand down last summer, not as a participant, but as a volunteer, as a tent leader. And that was the first time he'd ever been at stand down as a tent leader and as a volunteer and not as a participant. And he got up at the open mic session and he, he told his story. And he said, you know, he said, I thought I knew everything. He said, nobody, including the staff at VVSD, could have, could have told me anything different. He said, but guess what? He said, I was wrong. And he said, I finally gave them a chance. And he said, I'm happy. He said, I have an apartment. He is, I'm going to get married. He said, and I bought my first TV and I have a job and everyone was thrilled. And, you know, that's what it's all about. Because even after 20 years, you know, people can realize that they have a capacity to achieve whatever it is that they want to do. And people just can't give up. You know, we, we see a lot of homeless on the streets of San Diego and just because someone isn't ready to come in the first time you ask them, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep asking them to get services or connect with a program that is going to be able to provide them services because you never know. Someday, someday they might just give in and realize that they can do it and they can realize and have that pride and hope restored in them that we know that exists in all of our veterans. Oh, good for Robert. That's an amazing story. 17 times. That's, that's crazy, but that's awesome. You're mm-hmm. never, never too old and it's never too late. Never too old and never too late. That's right. 
So Kim, what is the website to connect? How do how do we find you? I'll also list it too, but I just want you to tell us the Our official website is vvsd.net. So Victor Victor Sierra Delta.net. Perfect. And also on Facebook too? That is correct. Okay. Do you have any closing thoughts or another funny story to share? Well, I don't know about funny stories. I don't know. All of them the military guys that I've talked to wanted to talk about poop a lot. So is that a military thing is to talk about poop? <laughs> I don't know. I was a damage control assistant. <laughs> My guys had to clean out the shitters oh. and that's what they called them <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's a, that is a military thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we, we laugh a lot. We joke around a lot. I mean, cause that's definitely the military culture is we give each other a hard time. And that's how you can tell that how much we like each other is how much we give each other a hard time. And it's, it's always service against service, whether it's army versus Navy, Navy versus air force, air force versus Marine Corps. I mean, you name it, we're always giving each other a hard time (laughs) and you can, you can tell veterans as soon as you walk up to them and uh, it's, it is, it's a good thing. And I guess just any closing thoughts, I would just remind folks that, you know, for our veterans, for us, there's no greater joy or honor in our life than wearing the cloth of our nation. And to remind them that there's no greater need than those homeless veterans and or those veterans that have lost connection with everything and have hit rock bottom in life. And then no greater obligation that we have as Americans and as a community and to reach out, connect with them, and offer them that hand up to get back on their feet. Well, thank you, Kim, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I love your stories, and I love what you are doing in your personal life and serving with VVSD. You are amazing, and I want to be like you when I grow up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And I hope that you found something that really resonates with you. I can't wait to share even more So please subscribe to the podcast and you can find links to our resources in the description and at youroxygenmaskfirst.com.